you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me again to Matthew, Matthew 21. The message this morning will not be a typical Resurrection Sunday message. We've been studying the book of Matthew for a couple of years now, I think it is. And uh, we're going to continue on in chapter 21 this morning. And we're going to entitle our message, Fixing Wayward Religion. It's not difficult to find religious people. No doubt this is one of two Sundays in the year when there are many religious people because it's Easter Sunday. Someone may ask these religious people, Are you a regular church attender? And they answer, Why, sure, I go to church regularly every Christmas and Easter. Yes, there seems to be many people who are very religious when it comes to these two holidays. And if you're here this morning as one of those so-called regular attenders, I believe God's Word has something to say to you, and I'm glad you're here and that God directed you to Spooner Baptist Church. But yes, there are many religious people, and even those denying the existence of God worship at the shrine of materialism or self or some other god of their imaginations. But most of those we know claim to practice the Christian religion in some shape or form. Nearly one-third of the world's population would make that claim. Yet I think that all of us would admit that many err in their practice of Christianity. And their religion is far off course from Christianity of the Holy Scripture. Now, you probably encounter this in the workplace or at school or in other places here in our community. Some have an outward form of Christian religion, but something doesn't appear right in their understanding and their practice. But the greatest concern for us is when wayward religion takes place in our own midst. It was much the same during Christ's earthly ministry. Those who supposedly knew much about the Lord really didn't know Him at all. And those who were experts in the details of religion lacked the marks of those transformed by the living God. And those who witnessed the works of Christ and heard His life-giving words failed to believe. And we find Jesus encountering such a wayward religion in His temple In his visit to the temple, and Christ did not take a passive view toward wayward religion, but he sought to correct it. Wayward religion must be challenged with a view to correcting it for the glory of God. And that's what Jesus did in such a powerful way when he cleansed the temple. I wonder if there are a few temples that we need to be cleansing ourselves. Let's see what we can learn about wayward religion and how to correct it. Let's look at our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 21. Let's begin in verse 12. It says, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, 
and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful thing which he did, the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went out into the city of Bethany and he lodged there. I want you to notice this morning in talking about wayward religion, how we need to recognize wayward religion first. Recognizing wayward religion. Now, as we read through the Gospels, we find that the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospels tell the story of Jesus cleansing the temple after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And though each writer kind of gives a little different detail of the story, they all concur on the general time frame in which it occurred. Now, in the book of John, it tells us there was another cleansing of the temple. That was the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry in John chapter 2. And in that particular event, Jesus used a scourge of cords to drive out sheep and oxen and doves and their sellers from the temple. And his rebuke was, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. He made a stunning point that the religious-minded Jews had forgotten what their religion was all about. And he exercised an authority over the temple, calling it my father's house. And thus setting the stage for the unfolding revelation of Christ as the priest and king. And yet it seemed that the Jews failed to learn the lesson that Jesus had dramatically painted for them in the first cleansing of the temple. Some habits of the heart, you know, are difficult to uproot sometimes. And turning the focus of their life to worship the Lord in purity and intense devotion is not something that comes natural to the human heart. Jesus made a clear statement. The worship of the living God is not about form or rituals. It's not about convenience. But it's about majesty and dignity and holiness. But the Jews failed to grasp the lesson that slipped right back into the same pattern that Jesus had challenged them early in his ministry. Yet we must not miss the poignant lesson that God will judge false religion just as Christ temporally in the cleansing of the temple. And so Jesus makes this point again only in the days just before his crucifixion. Now we tend to think that the temple is just a single building. And yet during Passover, the borders of the temple were extended far beyond its walls, included the swelling crowds of visitors in that city. The Jerusalem temple, most sacred spot, was, of course, the Holy of Holies, and where only the high priest could enter. But next was the sanctuary, limited to the priest. And then the court of Israel, where the laymen would gather. And following this was the court of women, limited to Jewish women, And then the court of the Gentiles that set a boundary of the feet of the Gentile worshipers. And to go beyond this, the signs about the wall expressed 
would be at peril of life. You see, the disdain for Gentiles and the failure to understand the nature of worshiping the Lord was found in the way the court of the Gentiles became host to what is called the bazaars of Annas. The bazaars of Annas. The well-known high priest granted permission to the family members to begin what looked like a flea market in the area reserved for the Gentiles to seek the Lord to worship Him. There were noisy animals, bargain hunters, crass merchants crowding the area that would provide dignity and quiet contemplation for the worshipers. Kickbacks and fees were uh, for the priestly family, and they kept the, the bazaar uh, in full swing and a total neglect of why the temple existed at all. The religion maintained outward form, but offered no sense of holiness and glory of God. Now, can this happen in our day? In my preparation for this message, I read of one woman who attended a large motivational conference for her business in a major southwestern city. Along with several friends, she accepted the invitation to attend an equally large church in that city before leaving for home and The stage performance, the lighting, the sound, the band rivaled anything that she had experienced at the business conference. She commented that she felt that she had left one motivational rally to attend another, except the business conference had utilized more scripture than did the church. After a lively musical performance, the sermon began, if you can call it a sermon. There were stories and film clips and personal anecdotes and They were all strung together for the thousands in attendance. But the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was nowhere to be found. The glory, the majesty, the holiness of God was noticeably absent. Satisfied customers left the fake worship service having their juiced up religious fix for the week. And so we ask, is this simply a matter of style or preference in worship, or is this wayward religion that has all the outward trappings of a religion but fails to please God? What about this practice of church bazaars and bake sales? Just think about the money that could be raised by our church, maybe for missions or uh, for uh, for kids to go to camp or for a new van. What would the Lord think if we cleared the chairs here this morning and set up tables for the people of Spooner to come and buy and sell? Do you think the Lord would be pleased with that? Well, we could certainly give them a gospel tract. Wouldn't that be okay? not according to God's Word. How do we know when our religion has gone astray? Notice, first of all, your religion has gone astray when your worship is mechanical. You know, we're almost stunned here at this narrative that we have before us in Matthew 21 after the gentle picture of Jesus riding on a donkey's colt in the triumphal entry, we find him possibly even the next day taking charge of the temple. 
It says, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. The temple was a place of reverence with reminders of the Lord and His holiness, and yet the presence of the merchandisers took the forefront and filled the senses. The place of prayer and worship for all people, the Jews and Gentiles alike, had been taken over by priests and merchants, busily taking advantage of a crowd for making a profit. The noise and the racket from the bazaar uh, would have kept the other temple courts from being quiet and reflective and contemplative uh, uh, in, in an atmosphere as they needed as they thought on the Lord and they confessed their sins and they sought divine pardon. Get your sacrifices here! Already approved. You can get them while you can. What should have been a place of sacrifice, atonement for sin, and the assurance of divine mercies had turned into a mechanical, one-stop operation for perfunctory religious acts without devotion and delight in the Lord. Yes, they had gone to the temple. Yes, they had done their routine duty by offering sacrifice. Yes, they had rattled off the prescribed liturgy, but they had met, were met with coldness and darkness when it came to a relationship with the Lord. Their religious practice was mechanical, was unthinking. And we see this in reference from Isaiah that Jesus quoted here, It is written, My house shall be a called the house of prayer. The context from Isaiah 56 and verse 7 shows that the Lord welcoming all people into His presence, He calls for the Jews and the Gentiles alike to approach Him in humility and trust and obedience. He calls for Jews and Gentiles alike to approach Him uh, uh, and, and come to Him in obedience. Even those who felt the cold shoulders of religious zealots were assured in this passage of the blessing of God and the experience of His joy. But the religion of Israel had gone far afield. They went through the motions. They sacrificed. They repeated the the words. They sang the songs. But there was no life, no holiness, no consciousness of God's majesty. They used religion for a personal advantage. And this type of religion was an affront to Jesus Christ. So much so that he single-handedly cleansed it from the temple. And as the great high priest, he had the right, he had the responsibility to cleanse the house of worship so that the Lord might be approached and the people might enter into his presence. And our religion errs when our worship becomes mechanical. We simply do the duty of going to church and attending worship services and mindlessly going through the motions of worship, then our religion is wayward. When we sing hymns, but the words mean nothing to us, then our religion is wayward. When we are more interested and intent on being entertained by, uh, at church than being humbled before the majesty of the Lord, our religion is wayward. When we react to the exposition and application of Scripture, preferring instead of familiar, soothing, and mindless refrains of rapid uh, religion, then our religion is wayward. I'm afraid it's far too common 
in our day. One lady complained about the exposition of Scripture and the focus of worship centering on the Lord. She said, you know, I just want to feel good about myself when I leave church. Well, I'm not here this morning to make you feel good. I think we can feel good. I think coming to church can be a time where we encourage one another. But we've got to be real. We've got to be obedient to the Scripture. Our religion is wayward when our worship becomes mechanical. Secondly, it's wayward when your trust is misplaced. The temple had given its role as a God-ordained witness to the nations and instead became a superstitious institution in the belief that one's presence in the temple obligated God to bless them and protect them irrespective of their conformity to His will. Now this sets the stage for the second clause here in Jesus' rebuke. He said here, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. The present tense, have made, gives the idea that it was something they had continued to do and still were in the process of doing. Thieves is more than a petty stealing, but conveys something of robbing to create anarchy and to upset the balance of society. What took place in the temple not only cheated the worshipers, but it also confused them about the worship of the Lord. It was an act of spiritual anarchy. Our Lord was quoting from Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 11 in Jeremiah's temple gate sermon. This is a sermon that focused on a people that trusted in the temple of the Lord rather than obeying the Lord and humbling themselves before Him. And as the sermon explained, there was no repentance, no justice on behalf of the oppressed and the aliens, no right relationships, no service of the Lord. Instead, the people engaged in idolatry, trusting deceptive words of false prophets that made them feel good about themselves and their behavior. They trifled with the Lord by breaking His commandments and thinking nothing of it. The false prophets had assured them that as long as they had the temple, then all would be well. And some people today think, well, as long as I got the church, everything's going to be okay. God was obligated to protect them and to keep them in His bountiful provision. And so we find Jeremiah really sarcastically remarking here, Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. They become one of those praise songs, those worship songs that people sing today as they repeat them over and over and over again. All in a smug and secure way of their wayward religion. It was the Lord who was to be trusted, not the temple. It was the Lord and not their sacrifices that they were to look to for mercy. But the whole nation was characterized by their failure to listen to the warnings and exhortations of Jeremiah and the former prophets. Instead, they found solace in believing deceptive words. And so the Lord declared, in, is, his, or is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, 
I have seen it, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 7, 11. Perhaps there's no greater problem in our country today than misplaced trust. You can talk about church. You can talk about church activities. You can talk about those kind of things all the day long and nobody will bat an eye, but you begin to talk about the gospel. You talk about the price for our sin, the judgment of God and the necessity of the cross, truths that are central to the whole teaching of Christianity. And you'll watch the conversation will quickly shift and people will begin to fidget and they'll try to change the subject. And we could adapt Jeremiah's little chorus, this is the Baptist church, this is the Baptist church, this is the Baptist church. And we could go on and on and on. But that's not the point. Our emphasis should not be on this is the church. No, this is a place for God. Our emphasis needs to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ crucified and risen from the dead. The sufficiency of Christ in the gospel, not our church. Such religion may soothe our fancies for a while, but it cannot carry us through life and into eternity. You know your religion is wayward when you reject God's revelation. Jesus cleared out the temple and then rejects their, the rejects, uh, rejections be, began to find their way to Him. It says, and the, uh, the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple and He healed them. These were the rejects of the, of the society of that day. It must have been a remarkable sight. Evidently, it was even the religious leaders, though they did not believe their eyes, they could not believe their eyes. And it says, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? To say that they were not happy campers would be an understatement these religious leaders. They saw wonderful things. They heard simple, faithful confessions of children affirming Jesus to be worthy of praise of the Messianic King. But though they saw and heard such a clear and simple revelation of Jesus Christ, they could not accept it. They were sore displeased. And so we find Jesus upbraiding these teachers and experts of Scripture. It says, And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read... Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. This quotation comes from the majestic Psalm 8 that speaks of the wonder found in God revealing Himself and thus finding a response of praise for all that recognize such divine revelation. There in Psalm 8 it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth! Who hath set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. And the simple point of the psalm is that the Lord's works reveal him. And when revelation comes, praise will follow. Jesus had healed the lame and the blind. The religious religious leaders saw it for themselves as did the children who had come to the temple. The religious leaders scorned the revelation of Christ while the young children extolled and praised Him as the Messianic King. And those considered nobodies recognized the Lord while the proud religious bigots did not. What a difference. 
the children accepted the divine revelation of Christ, while the religious leaders rejected the divine revelation, even though it was plain as, their no- as the noses on their faces. But is this so uncommon today? I was recently talking to a Christian brother who was, had been trying to witness to someone who was, had some very strange beliefs. And even after quoting many verses that dealt with this person's misconceptions, you know, one might have think that, you know, this guy must not have read the Scripture. That was not the case. He had a Bible, and he read it. The problem is, he did not believe it. You can have a Bible, and you can read it all day long, but if you don't believe it, it's not going to do you any good. That is the issue, isn't it? Do you believe the Word of God? Jesus affirmed His own belief in the Scripture's inerrancy and authority by the words when He said, It is written. That is, it was written to the point, in a point of time and it forever stands as truth. He upbraided the religious leaders by asking, Have ye never read? Of course they had read Psalm 8. But they did not believe it. And consequently, they could not accept the revelation of Christ before them. And the religion that rejects the revelation of the Holy Scripture is a wayward religion that leads its devotees to destruction. And that's the problem with so many who call themselves Christians today. They have not read the Scriptures, let alone believe them. Well, we've looked at recognizing wayward religion. Let's look quickly at analyzing wayward religion. Someone might ask, well, why make such a fuss over different expressions of Christian religion? When our religion fails to focus upon Christ as He is revealed in the gospel and leaves us filled with awe over Him and believing Him, then our religion is not wayward, but it's, uh, or I should say it is wayward when it fails to do that. Matthew recounts the story and helps us to see this. Notice, self-focused rather than Christ-centered. Think about what happened to cause such a strong reaction on the part of Jesus Christ. The temple's purpose was the center of worship and meeting the Lord, and it had been obscured and confused by the buying and selling in the temple. Israel had lost sight of the glory and the majesty of the Lord, failing to recognize that the Lord had come into His temple as Malachi prophesied. Instead, they were obsessed with making a profit, seizing business opportunities, and getting the edge over others. There was no thought of the spiritual, the eternal kingdom of the Lord. They were scheming on how all the religious practices and holidays could improve their lot of life. So focused on themselves, they failed to recognize the Lord of the temple was in their midst. And that's why Jesus reminded them that the temple did not belong to them. My house shall be called the house of prayer. They thought the temple was all about self instead of all about the Lord. 95% of church problems are right there. This church and a whole lot of Christianity are not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. Yes, we're involved by a relationship to Him and all that we receive through Christ's provisions of grace, 
But even in that, it's not all about us. It's about Him. The whole work of redemption from start to finish, Paul said, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Even our good works He has ordained that we should walk in them so that He gets the glory, not us. You know, it's a humbling thing to finally recognize that the world does not revolve around you. The world does not revolve around me. It's about God. It's about the Lord. Notice also anger here rather than awe. Seeing Jesus heal the blind and the lame, hearing the children in the temple shouting Hosanna to the Son of David, left these men with a wayward religion indignant. They were angry when they realized the temple was not about them, but it was about the Lord. They should have been filled with awe at the sight of Jesus giving sight to the blind instead of being angry. They should have joined the choruses of hosannas to Christ the Messianic King and said they were angry. And though they may have been going through difficult times, the sight of the Lord in the temple should have filled them with awe and wonder. Think about wayward religion. Instead of meeting the Lord in the Scriptures and encountering Him in corporate worship of God as God's people and contemplating His grace and His mercy at the cross, many times there's anger at having sin exposed. There's angry anger at people who rejoice in Christ. There's anger at having to endure others worshiping. I've seen this kind of anger from time to time. And it's an astounding thing to be among believers who are filled with a sense of wonder and awe at the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and then see some miserable, bitter, angry spirit of one who doesn't know God's grace. That is wayward religion. And then thirdly, complaining rather than believing. The sound of children shouting hosannas to Christ, these erring Religious men angrily complained, Hearest thou what these say? Horrified at the sound of praise for Christ the King, they bellowed their complaints. How much more spiritual were these children? While the religious leaders complained, the children believed. And haven't we seen this as well? Some of you came to faith as a child. Just as a young person, you trusted Christ as your Savior, as I did. Or maybe as a teenager, you trusted Christ. And maybe you heard your parents or some friend or someone complaining about life. You believed and you were transformed. The other complained about the things in the church and they knew nothing of Christ. We hear people complaining about things in the church today. So I ask you, is your religion self-focused or Christ-centered? Does the revelation of Christ make you angry or does it fill you with awe? Do you complain about people being too religious and believing Christ? Wayward religion is it the kind of religion you have? Or is it true faith? Notice thirdly this morning as we close correcting wayward religion. Wayward religion can be corrected. God... Or Christ has set an example for us. I think there's three quick, easy steps here. 
take decisive action. Notice the verbs describing Jesus' venture into the temple. He went in, he cast out, and he overthrew. The Lord went to his temple. He took decisive action to cleanse it of the confusion, the superstition, the self-centeredness. He did not ask for permission to do this. He did not need permission to cleanse the temple. He did not ask those buying and selling in the temple to please consider changing their practices if it was convenient. No, he just went in and he cast out and he overthrew He took decisive action, and that's what you and I need to do. If the Holy Spirit has put His finger on some error in your religion this morning, you need to take action. Today. Call it what it is. Sin, rebellion, selfishness, pride, idolatry. Repent of it. Turn from it. It may be lethargy, laziness, or mixed motives. Turn from it. Ask the Lord to overturn and drive out anything from your life that keeps you from being a radiant temple of praise to Him. Secondly, listen to God's Word. Jesus dealt with the objections to His actions through Scripture, didn't He? He said, it is written. And we see that phrase often used in the New Testament as either our Lord or our writer quotes the Old Testament Scriptures. And the tense of the phrase means that it was written in a point of time and it continues to stand forever as truth. Isaiah 40 and verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Jesus adds, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And unless you believe the authority of the Scripture, you will not take Christianity seriously. And you need to listen to God's word. Peter let says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And then he says, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to the word. Believe the word of God. Know the power of receiving his word. And then thirdly, receive the divine remedy. Jesus gave a divine remedy for those who were so brilliant in their religious leadership. He said, it is written. Have you listened? Have you believed and received God's truth? He even says, yea, have ye never read? Have you read the scripture and yet not seen and felt the whole focus of the word of God is pointing to Christ? Have you recognized the Lord revealing himself through the gospel? Wayward religion has to do with the attitude of the heart. It boils down to this, my way or God's way through Christ. If I choose to believe what I want to believe and live the way I want to live, then my way is the way of wayward religion. It leads to eternal destruction. But God's way through faith in Christ brings me to abandon confidence in myself or trust in a church, or faith in my religious performance, all needs to be focused on Christ. Then Christ is all, and in all, to me. Let's bow our hearts and our heads in prayer.